Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on today's show, we are going to be breaking down Eric's spring game grades from Saturday afternoon at Austin Stadium. The Oregon Ducks, if you missed it, they held their spring game. The offense beat the defense 35-34 on, I'm going to call it a controversial two-point conversion to win the game. Uh, Robbie Ashford dove into the end zone, but some photos that are out, some video that's out, makes it kind of look like he may have stepped out of bounds before he got Ooh. in. But nonetheless, hey, uh, it was a great game, a walk-off game in fashion at that. And we're now going to kind of dive into just our, our overall thoughts and some some grades and, and get some perspective on this spring game. Eric, was there any one position before we break down like position by position, but was there really any overwhelming theme across the offense or the defense or the entire program that you just felt like needed to be, you know, shattered out a little bit? How, how do you not shut out the wide receivers and, um, and, and, and the tight ends? I, I, when we do these grades and those have read them frequently know um, I, I basically group the pass catchers together. So wide receivers and tight ends are, are combined and, and maybe, Maybe this is a year where I'll switch that up and, and I'll, I'll, they'll each get their own grade. But in the past and certainly for Saturday and, and you know, that game, I, I graded them collectively and I just came away and really feeling like this is a special group. Um, I gave them an A-plus grade, which sounds hyperbolic, but I don't even know if it is. Like I don't think they dropped many passes aside from Micah Pittman, who is one of the most reliable receivers on the team. Um, everyone else was extremely reliable catching the ball, getting open, making plays with the ball in their hands. I think – just the sheer number of guys that that, that made plays was uh, really impressive. I mean, there's, you know, you look up and down the roster, Oregon's carrying uh, close to a dozen wide receivers. And right. basically everyone that participated in this game had a moment or two where they made big plays. And the young guys in particular made a lot of them. So I, I think that offensively really, really stood out. And again, if you go back and watch it, a second time, maybe even more impressive the way that Oregon's wide receivers had success and had some success downfield. And I think it's pretty easy to get excited about what this group could be in this upcoming season. And then you go, you know, if you want to go a little further down the line, what this wide receiver group could be like in 2022 and beyond. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, <laughs> a lot of the guys that were really good in this game have a lot of eligibility left. Um, you know, you look at this team and only Johnny Johnson, the third and Jalen red are seniors this year. There's the only players that ha this has to be their final season. Everyone else could come back right. in 2022. Right. So you, I came away from this thinking the short term is really exciting because I think top to bottom, there's a lot of dudes in the long term. Some of the guys that I thought were most impressive are true freshmen or second year freshmen or third years in the program kind of guys. And I think that just illustrates the upside for this group going forward. It's a very, very talented group. You gave uh, just the overall team a grade A. Um, you said there was not a lot to fault from the performance on Saturday. There was plenty of room to be made. You, and I'm going to read something that you say here. The A grade does not suggest this team is imperfect as there's much to address but it's not hard to come away from Saturday feeling optimistic about what the 2021 football campaign could hold. And I think that perfectly summarizes the spring game is that there's plenty of work to be done. Uh, there's plenty of room for improvement on both sides of the football, but the floor for Oregon football in 2021 is pretty darn high. Like I have a hard time thinking that this isn't a 10 win team at, you know, it would probably take some injuries to get them below that double digit win. It might come via nine wins in the regular season. They win their bowl game to get to 10. It might be a year in which they go 11 and one and they get to the Pac-12 championship game and they win that. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's 12 and one, possibly in the college football playoff. You know, I, I think that's kind of what I look at from this program is they are going to be yet, yet again, a, conference championship caliber team and one in which that will play in a new year's six bowl game and possibly even something better in, in terms of making the college football playoff. Um, 
you kind of highlighted the pass catchers. You gave them an A+. Plus. Uh, I, I'm not too worried, Eric, about the offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. You gave them a B-. Minus, and you mentioned, you know, Malasala and Mabe Lalu, uh, they were not – he was not playing in this game. Um, Alex Forsyth and George Moore, only, you know, players out there for a couple of, you know, plays. And then, you know, we saw a couple other key linemen not play as much. So I'm not really worried here. But your thoughts on an opportunity to see some of the younger guys, like a Dawson Jaramillo, who started at right tackle, uh, a Kingsley, who – Got a lot of run at left tackle. A Jackson Powers Johnson, a Logan Sagapalu. Uh, your, your thoughts on these these younger guys that we were so excited to see? Yeah, no, I thought the offensive line rotated more than I expected. Um, they, I mean, the first team I didn't catch it while it was going on, but on on re, on review on on replay, they were rotating kind of similar to what they did a year ago, where they started with Dawson Urillamo at right tackle and then rotated Stephen Jones who was playing right guard to start the game to right tackle and then suddenly Ryan walks at right guard and then the next series Ryan walks at left guard I mean they were doing a little bit of this kind of stuff that we saw them do last year which I was a little surprised about I didn't expect that they would do that and obviously now with um, Big Sala coming back in the fall you, you if Dawson Yolmo is really going to be part of this conversation you now have seven guys that are capable of rotating through so that part was kind of encouraging the reason for the low grade really was just it's hard not to dock a group when you give up nine sacks over the course of a spring game. And especially in the second half when this game got really close, the reason the defense took a lead in the fourth quarter basically was the offensive line just couldn't, especially the second team offensive line, had a really hard time protecting whoever was at quarterback, whether it was Robbie Ashford, Jay Butterfield, Bradley Yaffe came out there and I think got sacked like two or three times in, in, a, in about a span of five or six plays. So, um, there were some up and down moments there. With that said, again, it, there were a couple position groups where because it was sort of so much up, you know, kind of up in flux, I guess, it's hard to really know what it means or how much it matters big picture. Because, like, we, we'll talk about it in a second. Corner was missing a lot of guys. They were missing a bunch of running backs. And, they were, and the offensive line was doing some kind of funky stuff and missing a couple guys as well. So, like, I don't think I'm, like, totally out on the offensive line being really good this year because I still think that's possible. And there was certainly a lot of optimism, but of the groups that were kind of lauded as being really, really good and, and people should be really excited about, maybe they had one of the more disappointing days. And as far as the younger guys, you know, I just mentioned the second team offensive line had some hard times in the second half. In the first half, they had some really nice moments. And I think you saw the upside of that group, but a lot of credit to the defensive line. And, and maybe we should, shift gears and talk about that front because I thought the defensive line and, and the linebackers and that front seven defensively as a whole were the strength of the defense and I thought they performed at a really high level especially um, the more series we got into the game yeah I was really impressed with Kayvon Thibodeau and Brandon Dorless. Thibodeau was nearly unblockable it felt like um, and that's a very positive sign if you're an Oregon Duck fan and if you're an Oregon Duck player and Oregon Duck coach is that your best player is playing at a high level. And so I walked away with this thinking like, wow, like Thibodeau is, is getting, he's, he's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger, and he's making an impact right away. And then the big one is Brandon Dorless was yet again, really good on the opposite side of him. And, and look, I'm going to start beating this drum a little bit louder. I think, um, don't be surprised if this is Brandon Dorless's last year at Oregon. Like, ooh, wow. I I think that's a possibility. I don't know if it's the most likely scenario, but he's a dude, and I just think that there's a possibility where he has a huge year opposite Kayvon Thibodeau because there's going to be so much attention of hey, we got a double team Kayvon, we got a double team Kayvon. And that's going to open up one-on-ones for Brandon Dorless. And I just go back to that USC game in which USC could not stop Kayvon Thibodeau. And they were, you know, they were doubling him. And then Oregon's like, okay, well, let's let's unleash Brandon Dorless opposite Kayvon. And multiple times Dorless went up against Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, their first round draft pick, and straight up beat him just as much as Kayvon did. And then 
it became apparent in that game that they could try and pair Dorless up with Elijah Vera Tucker and, and see little drop off and have Kayvon Thibodeau go up against the other, you know, offensive tackle. And it, and it was just beast mode all, all on both sides. So I think Dorless is going to be in for a huge junior, his huge second sophomore season. Yeah, no, I know. I, I liked what we saw there. I thought, Hey, how about the fact that Keon Ware Hudson was on the field before Brandon Dorless and Dorless still played a ton. And so did Christian Williams. And, um, and they did rotate through that group along with Popo Amave. It was kind of a four-man monster in terms of there was two spots on the defensive line primarily, and, and they rotated between four of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Dorless is one of the guys. And Keanware Hudson, I thought, played really well. And, again, I think I mentioned it in my grades. Like, credit to him for being somebody who we thought coming into spring was at best maybe fourth or fifth on the defensive line. And I don't know all the reasoning behind why he was one of the first defensive linemen out there, but he played a lot. And at this point, like you suggest, he's probably one of the top two or three guys out there. So um, that's an impressive sort of development along with, with Dorless and his improvement. Um, Oregon's defensive front is, is, is certainly one that I think gets overlooked a little bit because the recruiting rankings don't suggest that this is like the best Oregon's ever had or the best group on this. It's certainly not like the linebacker group, but if you just kind of peel back the layers a little bit, I think you get a clearer picture for, for just what the, what the ceiling of for this group is and, and Dorless and Keomore Hudson and Christian Williams and all those guys, I think collectively, you now feel better and better. I wish I would have seen Braden Swinson playing, but um, he didn't play in this game. Uh, there, there is certainly a, a ton of upside. The defensive line, like you said, was just absolutely loaded from a talent perspective. And look, I've beaten the drum. Like I said, I think Dorless is going to be a dude. Um, but there's more than one guy on this team, Eric, that that impressed. I thought, you know, you mentioned Keanu uh, Williams, Keanu Ware Hudson, Popo Amave, Christian Williams. The list goes on and on. And it was a, a, a unit in which a ton to like now one on one unit on the defensive side of the football, um, the defensive backs, you gave a grade of incomplete. And I think that's perfect because this was probably the one unit who was impacted the most by either injuries, guys being unavailable or Oregon holding them out as a precautionary measure. And it, it led to some unfortunate mismatches from an offense versus defensive perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it stinks. Cause I think more, I think back on this, one of the things I was really in, excited and intrigued with was, okay, this group of corners, how are they going to match up with this wide receiver group? Because we kind of had the inclination going in that this receiving group was going to be really, really good. And the talent at the corner group is, is, is also like really good, but they're all really inexperienced. And I wanted to see, what these matchups look like. And instead what we got was basically Oregon only had two out of five available scholarship corners. And the two they had available were honestly probably like guy four and five of those. So, I mean, you were, you were down Mikhail Wright and DJ James and Trequez Bridges, who were probably your, your one through three in terms of your corner position, at least what we heard this spring. So it's unfortunate. So yeah, they get an un the defensive back group gets an incomplete. Jamal Hill, another starter at nickel, did not take part. Part of me wonders here. This is hypothetical, but it's interesting that really close friends in DJ James, Triquez Bridges, and Jamal Hill, all from the southeast, have had a couple stories this spring. All missed this game. Part of me wonders if if maybe there was like a contact tracing thing. That's hypothetical, but it is kind of strange that those guys didn't take part. Maybe I shouldn't even be hypothesizing such things. <laughs> Probably shouldn't, honestly. But uh, just that kind. Of, I'm just trying to like figure it out because we're these guys. We had talked to a couple of them earlier in the same week, and, and and then none of them took part. But yeah, it was hard to really give a a, a fair grade when we saw two you know available scholarship corners, and I don't. It just I just felt it felt unfair to try to give them a really low grade because they got beaten downfield all day when the guys that were getting beaten downfield legitimately probably won't play at all in the fall. Um, right. like, I don't think Lucas Noland and Marco Vidalajevic are, are going to be guys that you hear from. So that, so that was the incomplete grade. I, I, I think this group, unfortunately, you know, we're going to do a bunch of kind of fallout stories this week and, and in future weeks over, we're reflecting on spring. And I think, unfortunately, just based upon the, the, the limited what we could see here, it's going to be hard for the secondary and specifically the corners to not be kind of 
considered one of the bigger question marks on this team just because they were already one of the bigger question marks going into spring. And unfortunately, for based upon the spring game, I think they remain there. Uh, I will say, like, I thought it, I did think we saw decent things from Dante Manning and Jalen Davies. Like, I don't think 100%. they like embarrassed themselves, but they played a lot and they matched up against good receivers. And then the safeties had some really good, impressive plays. Like, I thought Brian Addison showed, you know, that was that was impressed with Brian Addison. We didn't talk a lot about him going into this. But converted wide receiver came up, made a couple of plays in run support, um, uh, broke up a couple of passes that could have been, you know, that at least were in the end zone he was a part of. So I thought he played well. And then some of the freshmen also had decent days, whether it be Damon David or Jeffrey Bassa. So um, I'm not saying it was like everyone struggled and it was a it was a total mess, but it was just this. It's kind of hard to really pick and, and understand exactly what what to make from it when so many key players were were just not available. I I, lo- I was pretty impressed with the two freshmen, Jeffrey Bossa and Damon David. Um, I don't know which one, but I feel very confidently that at least one of them will have some kind of a role as a true freshman for Oregon in 2021. Like it could be, and most likely will be a special teams guy, but I just think that their, their potential is sky high right now and they're mm-hmm. already making impacts. And I just think, I mean, am I, am I wrong there? Am I, am I over, you know, overanalyzing one out of 15 spring practices or just looking at their body types, looking at what we've heard about them, seeing what they did in this scrimmage that we were able to watch. I just, I, I look at both these guys and think they're going to play one of them at, at minimum, if not both. Yeah. I mean, the play. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't I think there's any question about it. I, I don't know. I'm not saying they're going to be a star, but yeah, like, like it's pretty darn impressive to be a true freshman to show up to a team that's won the conference two years in a row and carve out a role, even if it's hey, I'm going to be one of the gunners on special teams. Like I'm going to get in yeah. on ten out of thirteen games in the regular season. Like I think that's pretty. That's a pretty high accomplishment, even if it is a guy that plays maybe 150, 200 total snaps in 2021, and maybe you know, finishes the year with 15 total tackles. Just like not even specifically those two, but like in general, I came away being like, there's just a lot of guys that need to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like on the team and like, and and that's a really good thing. Like the, the depth and the quality of depth that you go further down the roster that exists is just like, it's pretty, it's pretty dang impressive, honestly. Like you run through the position groups and aside from a couple where they had, you know, running back and cornerback, they had players that were unavailable. So they're, they're down, so you don't really see as much of the depth. But, like, you go up and down the board, like, quarterback, there's four quality guys there. Wide receiver, there's, like, 12. Offensive line, same thing, a bunch of dudes. There was some really impressive play at tight end, and that was not just the top couple. The freshmen both had some moments. Um, you know, we talked about the defensive line. We just talked a little bit about safety and, and, and linebacker. I mean, there is incredible depth on this team, and there's going to be some guys that don't play a lot of snaps that would probably be starting or playing a ton just a couple of years ago and that's one of the things I took away is like you just you run through these position groups and it's like guy who you know the, the guy who's the, your second or third string player at some of these spots is somebody who probably previously would have been playing a lot more so and that stood out and that stood out especially with these freshmen that stood out with a lot of the guys that enrolled either this year or last year you know and it, we, we hadn't obviously been able to see all of the guys from and here's an opportunity to talk a little bit about Justin Flo but the 2020 guys hadn't seen a lot like a, a lot of the higher rated guys just didn't play much last year because of injury because of COVID because it was a shortened season because of how weird the offseason was I think we started to see the 2020 and those enrolled in 21 just see the, the talent there and the depth there and Oregon didn't really miss on any of these guys like a lot of like pretty much everyone that enrolled in these last couple cycles was out there and pretty much all of them were at least having some moments where he said hey, hey there's a you know, there's Jackson LeDuc making a play or, you know, wow, uh, didn't necessarily expect to see Chris Hudson be maybe the team's most impressive slot receiver today, but he is. Um, so, I mean, I think that was just a big thing. It's not specific to a position group, but like just overall, the depth here, it's pretty creepy. It's pretty crazy. And, you know, compare and contrast that to when Mario Cristobal and even, you know, one year when he first arrived as even the offensive line coach when Roy Tiger was here. I mean, Matt, we remember watching those practices and being like, okay, the first team guys are pretty good, but after that, it's kind of a mess. And right now, honestly, Oregon's like second unit guys would absolutely dominate the second unit guys this program had 
about four years ago. I mean, it wouldn't be close. Let's let's look at the quarterbacks real quick, um, and then we'll move off from these grades. But and we'll, we'll we'll go to some individual performances that we really liked. But I'm curious. You you gave the quarterbacks a B plus, mm-hmm. and I felt like Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford, those two guys, they were fantastic. They were, in my eyes, from a grading perspective, A plus. Um, combined, they were fifth. They were 15 of 27 for 241 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Ashford, Ashford scored the one two point conversion to win the game. And so I'm curious how how did this quarterback group not receive some kind of an A grade? Is it Ty Thompson's? inconsistency i mean he was five for nine for 75 the only quarterback on scholarship to not throw a touchdown pass or is it is it because of anthony brown missing a couple deep shots that he had uh that uh, you know open and available uh what what prevented this unit from being an a type grade because i was kind of expecting that yeah i tried to not just i don't know i i I think a couple things first off they the the quarterbacks undoubtedly played like collectively really well, and if you were to just combine all the passing stats for the day, I'm pretty sure. And, and let's just take away the let's take away Bradley Yaffe because he's a walk on. Let's take away Micah Pittman's interception in the end zone on that trick play. It, statistically, it's like wow, th- this group played really well. I think the thing that stood out to me on rewatch in particular is that the I don't think the the quarterback play was quite as good after like the midway through the second quarter and most guys didn't have their best games in the second half. So like aside from Rob, Robbie Ashford was the only one, right? His best, his best sequence, his best series was like last series of the game where he leads the offense on like an 80 yard touchdown drive. It's Dante Thornton for the touchdown scrambles in for the, uh, the score there. And as Matt says, we probably need to have like a Zabruder film analysis <laughs> kind of on like whether he got in or not. And like, Brian Addison also like makes contact with him and supposedly, you know, any, you can't hit the quarterback, but it's a quarterback. And like, how are you supposed to defend a quarterback who's running for a game winning touchdown? Like all of this stuff. But anyway, like beside from aside Ashford, like Jay Butterfield's best drive was his first, was his first drive. Anthony Brown's best drive was his first drive. Ty Thompson's best drive might've been a drive in the second half, but like, it wasn't like notably better than what he did earlier in the game. I guess just like, I thought, from a just like watching it again, I think the middle to back end of the game, especially the middle part, the quarterback play wasn't quite as good and it wasn't like terrible, but there were some missed throws and there were some missed opportunities. And again, honestly, like the defensive line played some role in this in terms of being and linebackers of being uh, asserting kind of some mayhem on, on, on the offensive line and making it difficult for the quarterbacks to have success. But like, I just didn't think they got like progressively better in the second half, but all in all, like this was a group that nobody, like, I don't think I came away from anyone being like, boy, that really doesn't sit well. And I don't think we go into the off season thinking any of these guys are, are like far off of the lead. Um, Anthony Brown's the top guy, but the other three all feel pretty, pretty collectively bunched together. And Matt, I'll put this back to you. Um, if I were to ask you to like, let's just say Anthony Brown's number one, cause I think that's, pretty clearly been said by Mario Cristobal, yeah. but if I was to ask you to rank the other three guys, A, could you do it? And, and like B, what would your order be? Is, like, is it, is it something you're comfortable doing even? Yeah. I, I think Jay Butterfield's your number two right now. Um, I agree. I, I think he was, and look, this is, we're making these assumptions based off of what we saw in a spring scrimmage, middle of camp, the spring game, and then the interviews. Um, I think Jay Butterfield is the number two guy right now. I think after that, you get a little wishy-washy of, is it Ty Thompson or is it Robbie Ashford? That's your number three quarterback. Because I thought in the spring scrimmage, Ty Thompson was hit or miss. He had the best ball of the day that we watched. Um, He had, I think, probably one of the better throws of – the spring game as well. Um, but he also had a couple throws that should have been interceptions in both the spring scrimmage and also the spring game. And then he was up and down. And then Robbie Ashford, he didn't play in the scrimmage uh, mid camp because he rolled an ankle. 
in yeah. in practice. And so it was a precautionary thing. So we've only got really one game like situation. And like you said, a lot of his stuff came at the very end of the game. Um, but nonetheless, in a clutch moment, in a pressure situation with his team trailing, he led the offense down to the game winning score. And I think that matters. Like, yeah, it happened at the end, but it also happened in a pressure situation. So I think, I think you have a clear number one. I think you have a clear number two. And then Robbie Ashford and Ty Thompson are sharing that third role. And I look at it as Anthony Brown is the clear number one guy. I, I don't think Jay Butterfield or one of the other guys will probably catch him in in the offseason training and then into fall camp. But I do think the gap between two and three is not very wide. Um, it's, it's, it's open for Thompson or Ashford to swoop in and steal the number two job from Jay Butterfield. Yeah. And I guess part of it is, 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 and you, you alluded to it is how much do we try to assess this position group based on, really seeing two out of 15 scream, you know, spring practices and Ashford didn't even really take part in one of them. So, I mean, like we're really, we've got a lot less information than we normally do. Um, but I will say, I think I like the fact that we got to see quite a bit of the younger guys on Saturday. I like the fact that everybody got a couple drives. I, I mean, I, I like the fact that we saw a lot of Anthony Brown. I, I think I came away saying, Hey, obviously you, you can't take eight to nine, past attempts as a large sample size and, and build much from it. But I think you could at least sort of see some strengths and weaknesses. And, and, you know, again, it's, it's not fair to draw too much from it because it was, there's a couple of series for each of the younger guys, but you could, you could at least see kind of why they're, they're at, you know, recruited to play at this level, why Oregon liked those players, why they're fits in what Joe Moorhead is doing. And I think here, one last question on quarterbacks, and then we can, we can jump and talk about a couple other things, Matt, but, did you come away? And again, the, I know the offense looked a little bit vanilla. They said it was going to be, but did you walk, walk away thinking any of the backups maybe were better fits for what Joe Moorhead is doing? Or do you feel like it doesn't really matter who's the best fit and they'll probably just go with the most talented guy? Because I do think stylistically, there's a little bit of a difference from a Robbie Ashford and his ability to run and be a dual threat guy. than there is to like a Jay Butterfield, who I think probably the most impressive passing day of any of the backups but maybe not the most impressive as a, as a runner, although he did have a, a botched snap that he ended up running for, for close to a first down. Um, I don't really think it really matters. Okay. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, I think Anthony Brown is good enough for what they need um, to beat most teams. Like, they're going to, you know, I, I think no matter who Oregon – plays at quarterback i think the game plan going in from everybody uh that that they face will be load the box make the quarterback have to make decisions and let's hope that he makes mistakes if if that's the opponent you know game planning obviously it's hey we respect the hell out of their receiving core we respect the hell out of their tight ends they've got a ton of talent at running back we got to stop cj verdell up front but let's load the box. Let's bring pressure on the quarterback and let's see if this guy can handle pressure and make quick reads and make the throws. Uh, I think that's going to be going into the year, what teams are going to do against Oregon. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think that's fair. I, I just think it, it wasn't it notable though to you, Matt, a little bit of like, there's a little difference in style from the Robbie Ashford to a Jade. Butterfield and maybe Ty Thompson fits somewhere in between, but I couldn't help but think like I could envision two sort of different offenses being run depending on who's the quarterback. And maybe that's a really good thing for Joe Moorhead. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I thought, I thought Robbie Ashford was probably the closest guy you have to like the Marcus Mariota, the mm -hmm. um, Darren Thomas type offense where there's a lot of zone read availability, Ty Thompson and, um, Anthony Brown are probably, you know, closer, closer to that than what Justin Herbert's offense was like. Um, and Jay Butterfield's probably closer to what Herbert's offense was where there was very little zone read, very little 
you know, movement in the pocket and using the quarterback in the run game than he is to, to, you know, pre 2017 type stuff. And sorry, I just, I know I keep saying last thing before I move on, but you, you, you mentioned it and it was an, it's interesting because you mentioned the player here. And I wonder if you like the comparison. I saw this a lot on social media and, and on ducktergeter.com. Um, and if you're again, if you're not a subscriber, go take a look. We've got a great message board with a, with a great community of, of posters who love, who love Oregon sports and talk about it. And there's it. a 50, 50% promo that ends May 3rd. There you go. So like, May yeah, 3rd, take I think at like 10 PM Pacific time. So later today. So take advantage of that if you're not. But but there. But I thought it was interesting. People were comparing Anthony Brown to Darren Thomas. Um, and I don't know if it's a perfect fit, but I get the concept of being like, okay, when Darren Thomas was, you know, his his final season at Oregon, he was a quarterback who, I know he had some big throws in the national championship game, but he was a quarterback where he wasn't going to win you going to go out and, and, and put up 500 yards passing and dominate a game and 100 yards rushing and win a Heisman, but he was going to be good enough, capable enough, reliable enough, consistent enough to go out and, and be able to win games. And they won out and had a perfect regular season, the only perfect regular season Oregon has ever had. Um, he orchestrated that. Do you see similarities with Anthony Brown in terms of the play style? And I don't even know if it has to be play style as much as it is. Could you see similarities where maybe Darren Thomas – is kind of what you hope Anthony Brown can be this year, where he just kind of manages the offense, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, got a ton of skill talent around him. Think about the guys Darren Thomas was playing with that year in terms of obviously the running backs, but then you had the Jeff Mails and Lavassier two and A's, David Paulson's and all these guys. Like, could you see that maybe being what Anthony Brown is and see that being kind of a, you know, the perfect solution to winning a lot of games? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's fair. Like I'm with you on that. So, all right, let's, let's change over to the, some positional shout or some individual shout outs. Um, some guys that I think upon second watch maybe didn't garner the, the attention that was needed um, in the spring game guys that certainly played and, and had impressive showings. I'm going to start with the first one and it's an obvious one, but at the same time, it's because I kind of take them for granted, but Kayvon Thibodeau, like mm-hmm. I, upon second watch, I don't know about you, Eric. I was just blown away. At like every single rep he took, he almost won. I mean, George Moore had his hands full uh, early on in that game against Kayvon Thibodeau. And then I, I just think it needs to be said again of just how good he is. And if you're a duck fan, you need to enjoy the next year with Kayvon Thibodeau because he's gone after this and there's going to be a really good chance that he's the number one pick in the draft. Is he an outside linebacker, Matt? Is he a defensive <laughs> lineman? Well, according to the stat sheet, yeah, uh, I, I, I messaged you that the university of Oregon <laughs> provided yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau is listed as an outside linebacker. On the stats, he was listed as an outside linebacker. And if you watch the scrimmage, and he, again, on the official roster, he's still listed as a defensive end. So even, even Oregon's official like stat keeper and Oregon's official roster creator, which is probably not a real job. Um, I'm sure that's done by the Oregon Sports Information staff. But even those people aren't quite sure if Kayvon's an outside linebacker or a defensive event. For those that watched, he was basically standing every time Basically, I mean, basically they played two players the hand down and then Kayvon and Mesuna kind of crowding the line of scrimmage as standing edge rushers. So it's kind of like a pseudo four down lineman, but only two players have a hand down kind of thing was basically yeah. what we saw. Um, and so I would say like, yeah, I think Tipo's playing outside linebacker, but it's not, it's like an edge position where he is almost, I don't think he dropped back into coverage at all. Um, I don't think he really, like when there was a passing play, it wasn't like he dropped back into zone coverage or man coverage or anything. Like he just got, he just basically got upfield and made the plays. And when it was a run play, it was the same thing. So I think, I think what I'm, my, my sense is he's playing outside linebacker. And, but what Cristobal was being really careful with making sure he communicated was that he might be playing an outside linebacker spot, which looks slightly different, but like the responsibilities look very, very similar. Like he's right, not, right. he's not an outside linebacker like you would see, um, like a Lamar Winston a couple of years ago or, like even even kind of a bit of a Mace Funa last couple of years, like a little bit of a different role, but like 
yeah, he is playing, I think, I would say he's an outside linebacker now, and Oregon stats, people agreed. Um, and yeah, Matt, like, yeah, he was super impressive. I think he probably only played like maybe 20, 25 snaps, 30 snaps, maybe. I don't know. I didn't have like a snap count. Um, but like when he was out there, you're right. He was very, very dominant and he made George Moore's day really, really difficult. And there's no question about it. Like, I mean, in terms of his impact, Oregon was down four, Oregon's defense was down 14, nothing. And then Kayvon Thibodeau gets a sack and that's only worth one point. But from there, Oregon's defense goes on a big run. And, you know, at one point takes a lead and is up basically by a touchdown in the fourth quarter, if not for the Robbie Ashford touchdown pass to Thornton and the two point conversion. So his impacts were certainly significant. Another guy I felt like needs to be shouted out. And this is one in which um, I would not have been surprised if he had transferred at the end of the season. And that is Brian Addison. Yeah. 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 Four-star recruit showed up to Oregon, had a ton of potential, was really looked at as a guy, Hey, this is going to be someone who's going to all of a sudden, you know, be a, a key contributor as a true freshman in 2018. And he redshirted. He played, I think, in four or three games in 2019. It was okay. Now he's going to be the dude. He's he's gonna he's gonna rise up. He's gonna become one of Oregon's go-to receivers. And he had a solid year. Uh, it wasn't the best, you know, statistical year on the team, but it wasn't. You know, he he made an impact. And then in 2020, we looked at him as like, okay, 2019 was here. He made improvements. He showed stardom, potential stardom. This is a guy that's probably going to start and he struggled to see the field. And it got to a point at the end of the 2020 year, not only was he struggling to see the field as, as a receiver, he wasn't a receiver anymore. He moved to play cornerback. And I, I felt like in today's day and age, you easily could have seen him just say, you know what? I, I, I came to Oregon as a high profile recruit. I thought I was going to be playing right away shoot, I thought I, there was a possibility I could be gone after this season off to the NFL. Yeah, 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 right. And I'm not, I, I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing the position I, you know, I came to Oregon as. And he's now back to safety, which he was recruited at, you know, by other schools, but not Oregon. And so that it kind of made sense. Like, I need a fresh start. I get a free year eligibility anyways. I'll probably be eligible right away. I'm going to go find someplace that fits new and, and just – restart things over and yet he he embraced playing safety uh and in the spring game i thought he looked really i mean he had one of the best hits one of the best plays defensively in that game blowing up a screenplay that he read perfectly four total tackles three solo one total uh total tackle for loss he had a pass breakup i don't know where he fits defensively in the rotation but he's certainly someone who can help oregon win football games in 2021 and beyond. I think that was really exciting, man. I, I mean, I, I remember that hit he had um, on a, I think it was on a short pass and I don't remember to who, but we both looked at each other like, dang, that was impressive. And then we're both kind of going like 13. Okay. 13. That's not a, that's a new number. I'm thinking, is that one of the freshmen? And I look it up. Oh, it's, it's Brian Addison. And uh, that was not the only time he made plays and that number 13 kind of popped out there. And I don't know. I mean, like that safety spot, Next to Veron McKinley, the third's kind of open. Steve Stevens got the start. Bennett Williams didn't get a chance to really play there because Jim All Hill was out. So he was kind of playing nickel. And I think Bennett Williams is probably going to be like your utility nickel safety guy, where my guess is he doesn't start, but he probably is like the first guy off the bench for a bunch of different places. But Brian Addison's name probably has to be discussed here. He's yeah. certainly he's in the mix. And I didn't necessarily expect to see that. And you did a good job of kind of running down his history as a recruit. Like I just pulled it up. He's still, and Oregon has since signed a bunch of really highly regarded guys. He's still the 40th best recruit Oregon signed in program history. And the guy, here's the three guys ahead of him. Micah Pittman, Colt Lairla, Byron Marshall, the three guys after him, Travis Johnson, Jalen Brown, Keith Brown. Um, certainly, uh, certainly a ton of really talented guys in his range. And he is not, look, he did not look out of place out there, yeah. even though he's moved positions. Some other guys to to highlight um, defensively. I, I we mentioned Jeffrey Bossa and we met we mentioned Damon David yeah. um, as freshmen that were really good. They need to be mentioned again. So I'm just acknowledging that. We also need to talk about Justin Flo. Yes, we like, do. Yes, we do. 
<laughs> at some point here, we'll talk about him. <laughs> like <laughs> this dude is humongous and is a heat seeking missile. And I don't look, I am the biggest Isaac Slade Matuatia fan there is out there. I beat, I, you know, I was talking to fans down that he was, you know, when they were coming out last year saying he was not good. Uh, I think he is a very good football player. I think he is an all conference caliber football player and someone who probably has a chance in some capacity of making an NFL roster when his career at Oregon is over, but watching Justin flow, you also kind of get a feeling of, Oh yeah, that looks different. And that, 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 that is, that is typical prototype NFL inside linebacker body type. And it's going to take a Herculean effort, I think, to keep flow off. He might not start every game, but it might be a, a situation where he rotates in every other series or something like that. Like, just his impact could be pretty darn good. From I'll say this from a pure like eyeball test of just like d- don't even snap the ball. Let's just see who looks the most impressive out there. He's number, he's number one on the team probably uh, by a long shot. Like you 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 like you watch him and you see number ten out there. His 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 he pops physically from the press box. <laughs> like we're I'm, I'm looking down. I'm like oh my goodness, who is that guy? Oh, that's Flo. That makes sense. And like you know he's next to Noah Sewell. Those guys are both five star recruits and big time players. Like physically, even he. I mean, it doesn't make like Noah Sewell look unimpressive because that's impossible. But he certainly is the physically more impressive of the two. And just saying that tells you a lot because Noah Sewell is six two, all of two fifty, two sixty, moves incredibly well, really well put together. But Justin Flo, like that dude, is freaky physically. And I'm with you. You know, um, I thought Isaac Slade Mato Atia. He's been asked a couple times about kind of flow and how much he's being pushed by the younger guys. And he had a quote recently, I think, um, I can't remember if it was Thursday or, or, or Tuesday or Thursday of last week. I think it was Thursday um, where he, he was asked about it and how much he's being pushed. And he said, I'm being pushed more than you ever, you guys would ever know. And I kind of took that as like, I think he's low key a little bit. Like I really have, this job's like not totally mine for sure. And he started the last two seasons. Yeah. I think he's aware that like, there's going to be an ongoing competition going into the fall. And, I don't think Slade didn't play a ton. I think that was by by design, um, whether it be health or, or just trying to give some guy, guy he like He didn't need to play. Run. I mean, like we know what he can do. And and for Flo, it was what how much have you been able to pick up on the playbook through spring ball and offseason development? Like Yeah. Like we we know what Slade can do. And so I don't look I didn't look at it as hey, this is his time to to shine. Like it, it's more of an opportunity for Flo. How good are you? And I think the answer happens to be very, very darn good. good. <laughs> and now, now you legit, I think, I think there's like a little competition here that is not too subtle going into fall of like, if, if Noah Sewell is going to be one of your starting inside linebackers, Isaac Slade is going to, I would, I, I would say here, here's a point. I think there's a better chance. Justin flow starts at inside linebacker midway through the season and supplants Isaac Slade, Matoatia than one of the young quarterbacks taking over Anthony Brown. I agree. How about, how about that? I mean, like, but like legit, I came away thinking, and, and again, this is one spring practice. We're probably knee jerking. It just happened. We just watched the highlights and we're just like, my gosh, this guy's physically so impressive. Maybe we're kind of overreacting, but like, I, I, I think it legitimately, I came away being like, I'm not going to be surprised if like five or six games into the season, he's, he's starting and Isaac Slade Macho and Tia is still playing a lot of snaps, but is kind of given up his role a little bit because flow is just that freaky. And maybe, maybe they find some roles to play Isaac more in, in different positions or, or they kind of mix things mix and match and somebody moves to kind of more of an edge guy or whatnot. But like, boy, that flow dude is, is for real. And that's going to be really exciting to watch here because you could see just kind of like, I, you can't help but really get excited by what it would look like to have Noah Sewell next to Justin flow playing inside linebacker at Oregon. Um, you know, for a couple of years together and shoot a guy like Mace Funa or Adrian Jackson, or even this year, Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the edge. That is physically something that is just different than Oregon has really ever had from a linebacker group. And that's what I was going to say is they just, they are like, this is where sometimes just pure physicality or physical makeup may, might be able to overcome some inexperience just because he is 
so, so different than what Oregon typically has at the linebacker spot to, to an extent, even compared to, to Sewell, like Sewell is, is a physical freak in his own mind too. And so I'm not trying to suggest that he's not, but I, I just walked away very impressed with Justin Flo, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of shakes out um, at that position and where his development is at. Offensively, guys that were really impressive, um, I, I think receiver obviously is going to dominate the headlines, but am I crazy or did I watch Hudson – in the spring scrimmage and now in the spring game and come away thinking like that's a legitimate number one go-to guy. Um, certainly like in terms of who was most impressive on the day, like, yeah, his ability to make players miss in space. I think instinctively he has a nose for like finding open space. I think that, you know, the touchdown he had in the first quarter from Butterfield was kind of like a scramble thing where, Butterfield rolls out and Hudson just kind of knows, Hey, I got to get open. And he finds the greens, you know, he found the open space and he found a part of the end zone where no one was at and ran to it. And it was a really easy throw and touch, you know, throw and catch for a touchdown. Um, I don't know exactly when he's a number one here because the talent is just sure. ridiculous, but like, sure. yeah, I, I just think the talent is there for him to be one if needed. What I, what I saw was, we didn't get a chance last year to really see what the hype was about Chris Hudson because he didn't come in for spring. He was here in the fall and summer, and everybody was raving about his his explosiveness and his speed and how, how he was going to – yeah, he was just really impressive as a freshman. Didn't get to see a ton of that during the season. Like, I can't – like, I don't know what my favorite Chris Hudson play of 2020 was, but it might have been like a 15-yard first down catch or something. Like, I don't think there was anything out there that was just, like, mind-blowing. We saw some of that crazy special stuff in open field there. I think his first catch to set up the touchdown was a pass from Butterfield where he caught it and made a bunch of dudes miss and just probably gained an extra six to eight yards because of it. Um, there is just, I mean, I there, there are so many guys at wide receiver, like, because you're talking about how there's a receiver who you think is going to be your one of your shout out guys, Matt. And I'm going like, I don't actually know which one you're going to go with here. Are you going to go with like, – <laughs> you very well might have been leading me down the road of Isaiah Crocker there, not, right. as a, not as a number one, but as somebody who you have to shout out. And I want to take a second to shout him out because just like we ran through the kind of Brian Addison story of he comes in as a big-time recruit and kind of has to take his lumps before finding the field. Like Crocker people I think sort of forget like he's he was a top 200 guy nationally as a recruit, as a wide receiver in 2018, same class as, as Addison. Crocker was he's, – he's still Oregon's 67th best – wide receiver or sorry sixth seventh best overall recruit in program history he's one of the top eight wide receivers Oregon's ever signed it's a guy who's now been in the program for almost five years and we just hadn't seen anything and he goes out there and Oregon you know he catches two of the key passes to set up that touchdown to Thornton to get the ball down the field um you know again defensively they didn't have their their a team out there in the secondary but certainly was able to make some plays and somebody that Mario Cristobal had mentioned like hey he's turning some heads like this is the thing with this receiver group is like there are five or six guys that deserve shout outs because Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin deserve them. Hudson and Isaiah Crocker deserve them. Um, you know, maybe just those four were the ones that like really, really jumped out. But like, then there was like Josh Delgado caught a, like a really key 15 yard pass. And Devin Williams had, I think one of the longer plays from scrimmage and Johnny Johnson was Johnny Johnson and Michael Pittman probably had his worst game and yet still made some plays. So, um, collectively this group is really really good and like i want to shout out two tight ends really quick and i'll throw it your way like i thought patrick herbert catching the football making plays yeah that, you know i know the stats aren't going to jump out to anybody because he was like two catches for 25 yards but still that was really encouraging to see and, and terrence ferguson being somebody who makes a couple catches downfield that was nice and i know Matavajo didn't catch any of them but he was targeted twice in the end zone for touchdowns and dropped them both or, or i shouldn't say dropped because there was pretty good coverage both times but just the fact that the quarterbacks have confidence to throw the ball there i thought the tight end group has to be you know at least acknowledged and and, and shouted out and that was even the case without dj johnson who might be might be the team starter at tight end i don't i think that's one thing we come out from spring not knowing for sure but boy wide receiver tight end <laughs> There's a lot of guys out there that really, really turned heads. That's definitely the way to describe it. <sighs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. There There's so much. 
Um, and you're, 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 you're dead on with Crocker in that he needs to be shouted out too, because he's another one that easily could have transferred. And quite honestly, you know, there Matt, are Matt, a how lot long of fans that. Well, how, long, how long have the two of us behind the scenes been going like, is this Crocker's last spring or fall yeah. camp? Like we've been thinking that for a while. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this is kind of the nasty side of college athletics is there, there are fans who are rooting for people to not succeed and to just leave the program. And he's one of those guys that I think has developed this reputation that a lot of fans just have kind of given him up on him. And this is yet again, another example of, you know, let these guys play, let these guys develop and in time more than likely the light clicks and things will work and everyone, you know, it'll, it'll come out in, in a positive manner. And Crocker looks like a guy that's, it's starting to click for him. And I'm not saying he's going to come out and be a guy that's a thousand yards receiving and 10 touchdowns, but he's going to help Oregon in 2021. If he, you know, if he's on the roster, and I, th- I kind of think he will be like, looking at what Oregon wants to do and, and how many guys that they want to play at the receiver spot, there's a role for him in 2021. And he's still got a couple more years left to develop and turn into himself into a full-time starter. So, yeah, I, I think he's someone to watch. And overall, this is a really good receiving core, a really good tight end core. And it's really exciting to see what will play out from both offense and defense, but those are some of the guys, unless Eric, you've got a couple others that need to be, to be shouted out real quick. Uh, just a small one. And, and again, like somebody who probably isn't going to be a big factor in fall, but like Aaron Smith as a walk-on running back number yeah. 34, I think was pretty impressive just in terms of he carried the ball more than anyone else. Didn't fumble it positive yardage in the second half when it's thud and basically two hand touch, he was still falling forward and, and picking up positive yardage, which can be difficult considering it's like, you know, usually you can fall forward and pick up some yards, but once you get touched and, and thud, you're down. I thought he he had a nice little day as well. And again, not somebody who probably factors into much of anything in the fall because probably by the time that happens, he's like at best seventh or eighth on the team at running back. But good to see him, you know, just come, good to see somebody fill in at running back as a, as a walk-on and, and produce well. Because we've seen so many times in spring games, you get a walk-on out there and it's just like, you give it to him and it's two yards or at, at best. And that wasn't the case with him out there. So not a big time player in terms of like what this program is developing towards, but somebody who at least performed, I thought pretty admirably given the circumstances. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Continue to subscribe. Our listenership continues to go through the roof, which is awesome to see. And until we record the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.